Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning on this 4th of July weekend. Uh, For those of you who may not know, my name is Nick Jonkowski. I'm the associate pastor here at Mosaic Church, and I am so excited that you've decided to come out and join us on this long holiday weekend, unlike our unholy Pastor Jason, who has gone up north to go fishing for the weekend. (laughs) If this is your first time joining us, or if you haven't been here in a few weeks, we are uh, in the middle of a series entitled 10 Words. And each week, we've been looking at uh, one of the Ten Commandments uh, spoken of in the book of Exodus, and then looking at how or in what ways those Ten Commandments are applicable or relevant to our lives today. And today, we're going to continue our journey through the Old Testament by looking at Exodus 20, and specifically, the fourth commandment in the list. And we're going to dive into that here in just a moment, but before we do... I want to invite you to join us in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, today, Jesus. We confess, Lord, that in so many ways our hearts and minds are oftentimes distracted by all the different things that are happening around us, Lord, from uh, holiday celebrations to more difficult and trying circumstances of life. Jesus, we bring all those things to you today, and we ask that by the mercy and power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to our hearts, that indeed we would leave here different today by encountering your word. We thank you for that and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoever said that the only certainty in life was death and taxes was wrong. Not because death and taxes are not a certainty. They most certainly are. However, because I believe there is a third inescapable reality of life that was not mentioned in that statement. The truth is that there is within our human life, the inability of our brains to switch off at night is an inescapable reality of life. And it happens to me almost every night without fail. My wife can testify to this fact. I can literally be sitting on our couch struggling to maintain consciousness as I sit there and watch TV. But as soon as I get up and hit the pillow, that's the exact moment that my brain decides it's time to start processing life's biggest questions, right? Questions like, Do crabs think fish can fly? Or what happens if you get scared half to death twice? Or what if the hokey pokey is really what it's all about? Questions like those can send my brain just spiraling into a never-ending vortex of thought that describes me from all kinds of sleep. And that's when life is good. However, when life feels turned most upside down, the silly questions that keep me awake at night tend to become much darker and more anxiety-inducing. Questions about life and faith and will God provide all seem to run through my head in a never-ending parade of what-ifs. 
What if God is not there? What if God's not going to provide? What if you don't have the faith to see yourself through this? And these never-ending questions that seem to walk through my mind at night rob me of the rest and the peace that my mind and my soul so desperately crave when life feels turned upside down. For example, if those of you have been here at Mosaic for any period of time, you know that Don and I are moving to North Carolina later this fall to start a brand new church in Durham. And if that wasn't anxiety-inducing enough to keep you awake at night, pondering all the potential possibilities of what could happen, we found out just a few weeks ago that Dawn was laid off from her job due to no fault from her own. Now, you take with the stress of moving to a new state and starting a new church and then add to that the loss of your primary source of income and your health insurance, and you have the perfect recipe to foment all manner of unending fear and doubt in your mind about what could happen when we leave for North Carolina. The truth is, this morning, church, that as I stand here before you, if I'm honest, there are times when life feels turned upside down that I have a very difficult time finding places of rest for my mind and my soul. And it's not just when I'm sleeping either at night. It happens during all manner and hours of the day that my mind feels like it's just constantly bombarded with these thoughts and these questions about whether or not I'm going to make it through this situation. Whether or not God's going to come through for me this time. Whether or not I have the faith to stand. And often the only certainty when life feels uncertain is a lack of respite for my soul in those circumstances. And I have to imagine this morning, church, that if we were honest with one another, that we would probably all be able to testify to that very truth. Not just with, these strange, with, with regards to the strange meanderings of our minds at night, but specifically to the loss of rest or peace when we experience tumultuous or difficult circumstances in life. If we're honest, I believe that, again, we could all testify to the reality of that truth to one degree or another in our lives. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that fear, anxiety, doubt are all common feelings of the human experience when life gets turned upside down. In fact, the corresponding sleepless nights that we have when our minds just mill over the myriad of potential possibilities of things that might happen, the what ifs of life are really just our body's natural response to attempt to deal with trauma, with fear and pain. And so the good news this morning, church, for you is this, that if you lay awake at night pondering different things, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not the only one who lays awake at night whose mind won't shift off. And so the question this morning that I want us to ponder is not this, it's not whether or not the uncertainty in life can lead us to a lack of uncertainty in our souls. Because again, every one of us could experientially testify to that with a hearty amen. The question, the question that I want to invite us to consider this morning is this. It's not if, but it's what do you turn to in those moments in life? 
What do you turn to in those moments when life feels most turned upside down? In other words, what are the things that you reach for in life when life gets volatile, when life feels heavy as a means to try and bring restorative peace back to your mind? Because the truth is this, church, including myself, every one of us reaches for something in those moments. Every one of us reaches for something to find peace when life feels turned upside down. Some of those things are good and some of them not so good, but every one of us reaches for something. Thankfully, I think God in his infinite wisdom and mercy must have known that we as fallen and broken human beings would struggle to find peace and rest for our lives when life feels messy or painful. Because as we're about to see in just a moment, God addresses this very idea of rest to the Israelite people in a moment when their lives perhaps felt most turned upside down. And so if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps, I want to invite you to open with us. We'll also have the words on the screen. But I want to invite you to open with us to Exodus chapter 20 as we examine what God has to say on this very important issue. And so as you turn there in your Bibles, let me very quickly give you some background on what's happening in this text, because this is important. The Israelite people had only months earlier been delivered out from underneath the bondage of slavery in Egypt by God's prophet Moses. And now, as a result, they find themselves as migrant people wandering through the wasteland wilderness of the Sinai. And I think if we were just for a moment to step out of our American shoes in 2023 and put on the shoes or attempt to put on the shoes of these ancient Israelites, we might understand that there is perhaps a torrent of chaos that is running through their minds as they're experiencing this migration from Egypt out into the Sinai. Questions like, should I have really left Egypt Is this Moses guy really the dude to lead us through the desert? Or is God going to show up for us when we need him most in the desert to provide for us? And it's here in this tumultuous moment for the Israelites, when their lives feel so turned upside down, that God speaks directly to them about rest in their trying circumstances. So let's again read what he says as the fourth commandment. We're going to begin in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is for the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. We get it. Nobody can work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and that all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." I think if most of us were to uh, hazard a guess about what the Sabbath equates to, we would probably have come to mind pictures of lazy Sunday mornings in the fall that include both church and football. Or at least that's how we Sabbath in the Jonkowski home in the fall, right? But the truth is, and I'm sorry to burst your bubble, is that God's vision for Sabbath actually has nothing to do with pigskins, 
Has nothing to do with chicken wings. Has nothing to do with pumpkin spice lattes before Sunday service. I'm sorry to tell you that. And so in order to understand why it is that the Sabbath is so important as it relates to finding rest in the midst of life's difficult circumstances, we have to first understand what it is that God is saying and then why it is that he's saying it. And so let's start first with the what. What is Sabbath? The word Sabbath in the original Hebrew is translated as the word Shabbat. Say Shabbat with me. Shabbat. You can speak Hebrew. Way to go, guys. I'm impressed. And that means in the original text, it means rest. And it's actually related to a Hebrew verb meaning to cease. And so the question for us this morning is what is God calling the Israelite people to rest or to cease from? In relation to our text today, we can see that God is calling the Israelite people to rest on the seventh day from all forms of human labor. Or another way to look at it is that God is calling them to cease all forms of toil or work that were directly related to the sin that was brought forth by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when God cursed the ground with thorn and thistle. When God said, it's by the sweat of your brow that you will pull up your livelihood from the dirt. And this is why in Exodus 20, verse 11, it references back to verse 11, and it references back to the story of Genesis, and specifically the creation narrative as the chief example of rest for God's people, because God is drawing the minds of the Israelites. He's hearkening their hearts back to a period of history when humanity existed in perfect peace and rest with God in creation. He's calling them back and their minds back to that place. And in doing so, God is inviting the Israelite people to a regular observance of Sabbath, whereby they willingly shift their eyes off of the ground or the source of all their difficulties all their trials, and all their hardships, and instead turn to God as the ultimate source of their peace and rest. In other words, catch this. The heart of our God, the heart of God for his people was to carve out space, a physical space and time for peace to invade in the midst of our chaos. He's carving out space, and he did so that his people might experience respite for their souls in the midst of that chaos, that they might experience respite for their souls through fellowship with him, so that it resembled, if only in part, the original unbroken relationship that existed between God and humanity before sin entered the world. God longed to give his people that kind of rest. And church, this is a powerful word for us this morning. This is a powerful word for us this morning because it's interesting to note that as you look at Exodus 20, verse 8, of the Ten Commandments, that is the only one, the fourth one, that begins with the word, remember. The other nine commandments all start with the word, you must you must do this, you must do that, you must do this. And the reason that God says remember is because God understands me 
and he understands you. He understands us as fallen humanity. It's like that commercial says, Jesus gets us. God gets us and understands that in the midst of difficult circumstances, we are so easy to forget to look to him and instead are drawn to and distracted by what we see in front of us on the ground. The pain and the heartache and the things that are pulling at us draw our gaze away from him instead of regularly gazing upon God. And I'm going to tell you guys, if I'm honest, if I've done it once, I've done it a thousand times this week, where my mind and my thoughts, my very actions have been dictated by my circumstances of us moving to Durham. What if we can't make it? What if God doesn't provide for us? What if, what if, what if? And all my worries and all my attention, all my energy is drawn towards this fixation instead of focusing my presence and my mind on the worship of God. Yes, even your pastor struggles with anxiety and fear at times. It's true. And the word remember in this fourth commandment is an invitation by God to the Israelites, to me, and to all of you to remember to turn to him when life feels most turned upside down, to fix our gaze upward in reflection and worship of his glory and his majesty, of God's faithfulness and his provision, not only in scripture, but in our lives in the past, rather than continually having our eyes cast downward at our circumstances. To remember that no matter how big our circumstances may seem in the moment, the God that we serve is bigger still. The God that we serve is bigger still. And the only way, church, that we remember that is if we, again, stop and stop looking forward and down at the ground and take time to look up and fix our eyes on God. Otherwise, all we see is what's before us. And so we see the what of this fourth commandment, but it's equally important to understand the why of this fourth commandment as well. Because uh, understanding why God commanded the, the people to observe the Sabbath. Because yes, it's true that he graciously wanted to bestow upon him, them the riches of his divine rest in the midst of difficult circumstances. But don't get it twisted. God's plan for peace is much greater and has always been much greater than just the individual or even the entire nation of Israel, as it were, in this case. And the express purpose, the explicit purpose of the Ten Commandments, and indeed, the fourth commandment that we're dealing with today is actually given earlier in Exodus 19. And so, um, beginning in verse 5 and 6, if you have your Bibles, you can read this with me. He says, God says to them before giving the Ten Commandments, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, God tells the Israelite people, you guys got to give me some credit, I'm preaching harder up here than, than it looks. God tells the Israelite people that through faithful obedience to his Ten Commandments, that they will be his chosen people and his holy priesthood amongst the nations. And this is a strange language for us because we don't oftentimes talk in this language of being priests 
But what's important here to grasp and to understand in this moment is that it's significant that God confers upon the people of Israel as a whole the role of being the priesthood, his priesthood, to foreign peoples of the world. In other words, God is saying to the Israelite people that as you are faithful to obey my commandments, and specifically with regards to the text, text that we're looking at today, if we dwell in peace in the midst of difficult circumstances that God provides for us, then you, O Israel, will be a living testimony, a living picture of God's authority amongst the other nations for his express purpose that other people groups, other people who are far from God, other people who are outside of the nation of Israel might see how nation, the Israel of nation responded and followed after God and might taste and see and be blessed by the goodness of God through God's people and might then desire to come into relationship as part of God's family. And again, this matters greatly for us today, church. Primarily because you need to catch this. The same language that is used in Exodus 20 to describe the Israeli nation as a priesthood of believers, catch this, is the exact same language that is used in the New Testament to describe people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 2.9 says this, and just listen to the similarity. He's talking of believers who have professed faith in Jesus. He says this, but you are a chosen people. Me and you who have professed faith in Jesus are a chosen uh, people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you might declare praises to him who call out and call out to him who brought you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. You see, church, just like Israel, we too as believers are God's chosen people. We are his royal priesthood among the nations and our lives as such are to serve as a living tableau to the praise of God, even especially when life feels most difficult or turned upside down. And the truth is this, that for many within the modern church, modern Christianity, let's say, this is such a hard concept to grasp because it cuts so deeply against the grain of our culture. It cuts so deeply against the grain of our culture because I don't think it's a stretch to say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that we live in a me-first society. We live in a me-first society where the most important thing is about what makes me happy. It's about what makes me happy. And don't fool yourself, the church is not immune to this kind of thinking. It's invaded many areas of the church within America. And the truth of the gospel is this, is that the gospel stands in direct contradiction to a world that says, your life is all about you, where the gospel says your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. And that your life was ransomed at the cost of Christ's shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And that the highest purpose of our lives as followers of Jesus is to have our lives poured out as a living sacrifice for the glory of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, here today, the hard reality of the Christian faith 
for the modern American mind to accept is that life's not all about you. Life's not all about you. In fact, when we go into the scriptures and we look and we see, scriptures say that, that our lives are all about Jesus and Christ alone. It's all about Jesus and Christ alone. And so when we experience difficult circumstances and we choose to focus all our energy, all our attention, all our facets of thought on our external circumstances, instead of fixating our mind and looking upwards to the glorifying and praising Jesus for what he has done for us, in that moment, we are making the story all about me. We're making the story all about me. And that's why it matters, church, how we answer this question, both in word and in our deed. Where do you turn when life feels most turned upside down? Because how we answer that question, church, in both our words as well as our actions, are what a watching world witnesses when they encounter the royal priesthood of Jesus outside these four walls. And they either encounter one of two people, they encounter somebody who's no different than the rest of the world who's in it for themselves and just looking to get the most out of their circumstances they can. Or they encounter authentic people who follow Jesus who, yes, when life hurts, we cry. When life doesn't go the way we think we should, perhaps we get frustrated. But in the midst of all of it, our lives are not dominated by those circumstances. Our lives are dominated by, dominated by the overwhelming power and peace of Jesus Christ in our lives. And people look at that and they say there's something different about those people. Those Christians, there's something different about them. There's something different about them. And so our lives, even in difficult circumstances, church, should be authentically testifying to the supremacy and the majesty of Jesus in all things, even when life feels turned upside down. And so I ask again, where do you turn when life feels turned upside down? Because if you know anything about the biblical history of ancient Israel, you know which way they chose to turn. God said, hey guys, we're going right. And they said, nope, we are going left, God. And they went hard left. It wasn't a soft left. They like cut across two lanes of traffic to get there, right? They, uh, the Bible tells us that in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, that tragically the nation of Israel chose to only do what was right in their own eyes. They rejected the commandments of God and they turned to foreign gods and pagan idols as their source of peace and rest in that moment. And it might be tempting for us to think that as we read this, that that was the end of God's plan of peace for humanity, torpedoed the whole thing. But here's what we have to recognize is that the Sabbath that we read in the, test the, the Old Testament was a type of or a foreshadow of a greater Sabbath that was coming still. And even though Israel in their sin rejected God, it could not stop or falter the plans of God to create peace with humanity from moving forward. In fact, even as we turn through the pages of Scripture, we see very clearly that while Israel was languishing in their sin, her prophet still spoke to them about a coming Messiah who would be the ultimate and final fulfillment of Sabbath rest between God and sinful humanity. It would be a Sabbath that was not dependent upon ritualistic animal sacrifices, it would be a Sabbath that was not dependent upon or limited to a specific day of the week. 
And of course, as we open up scripture, we know that Jesus was and is that promised Messiah by the prophets. Through his perfect life and his sacrificial death, Jesus became the ultimate fulfillment of Sabbath by once and for all ushering in peace and rest between God and sinful humanity. Whereas the book of Romans declares that all of humanity, that means me, that means you, that means every human being who has ever lived on this planet, once stood in enmity with God because of our sin, we were separated. There was no way to get back. Jesus stepped in on our behalf to bring peace, to usher in peace for us. And he did that by taking upon himself all of God's wrath to be poured out upon him at the cross of Calvary for all our sins, for all our brokenness, for everything you've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong in this life. Jesus took God's wrath in that moment and had it poured out on him so that we might receive Sabbath rest with God through faith in Christ. And church, this means that just as God called the Israelites to stop with their labor and their toil of the ground, so too when we receive faith in Christ Jesus, we too no longer have to labor or toil religiously to try and earn acceptance by God. We no longer have to try to make ourselves look pretty before God because the Bible says that even your best works are as filthy rags before the Lord. But instead, when we come to faith through Christ Jesus, we are able to just dwell in the peace with God because of Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection. Hebrews 4.9 says it this way. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He's not talking about the children of Israel anymore. He's talking about us as believers and the Sabbath rest he's referring to in this moment is Christ Jesus. And he says that anyone who enters into that rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. And so this Sabbath rest that we receive through faith in Christ matters, especially when life feels turned upside down. Because that Sabbath that we receive is not just some distant hope of eternal life that it's going to be available to us at some far-flung period in our lives. But instead, it has real life significance for us here in the moment. As we already said earlier, that when we turn to Jesus as our ultimate source of respite, that that is not dependent upon peace being brokered by a priest or a prophet. You don't have to come to Jason or I and say, hey, I need peace with God. Can you help me with that? Nor does it mean that God's peace is limited to specific store hours during the day. Instead, we see that through the gospel that the shed blood of Jesus flung wide the gates of heaven for any age, any gender, any race to be able to come boldly into the throne room of God as Hebrews tells us that we might boldly approach God's throne with grace and confidence, that we might receive from him mercy and find grace to help for us in our time of need. That means, church, this morning, that Sabbath rest is that we receive through Christ is perpetually available to us. It's never-ending available to us. It's not just something that we receive the moment we cross over into eternity. It is available to us in this moment, day by day, Regardless of whatever present circumstances we might face, 
or regardless of which hour of the day our minds are unease. Even if it's 2 a.m. in the morning, the peace and Sabbath of Jesus is available to us at that moment. Jesus is our seven-day-a-week Sabbath rest that we receive through, through faith in him. Jesus is our seven-day-a-week Sabbath rest. And, of course, that's something that, that sounds nice to say, right? Like, that's kind of a, one of those kind of platitudes that we can kind of throw out there. Jesus is our seven-day-a-week Sabbath rest. But what does that actually look like at 2 a.m.? when your mind is spinning with questions? What does it actually mean or look like to step into the transcendent peace of Christ in the midst of life when it feels most volatile or chaotic? I'm glad you asked. It reminds me of backpacking trips that I used to take on the Appalachian Trail as a youth pastor in North Carolina, I'll kind of get out of the way, you can see me, see us there, um, hiking up there. And by the way, um, I absolutely loathe these trips. I hated them with a passion. I cannot underscore how much I loathe these trips. Because despite the fact that I grew up in Colorado, I am not in any way, shape, form, or fashion an outdoorsy woodsman type of guy. That is not me. <laughs> That is not me at all. And so even just like thinking about this as I was writing this week was like putting my mind at unease. And I was like, Jesus, I need Sabbath. I need Sabbath. That's not the point. The point is, is that when we went on these trips, we had to hike in and hike out with everything that we needed for that week. Meaning that every participant had to carry a 50-pound backpack on their back filled to the brim with camping supplies. And guess who got to carry the heaviest stuff? Yeah, the guy who kind of goes to the gym every once in a while gets to carry all the heaviest things. So I always had the heaviest backpack. And I will never forget the utter sense of relief that I felt. Each day, we finally like plotted into base camp because I was finally able to take off the burdens from my shoulders after 8 to 12 miles of hiking over arduous terrain up and down hills. And not only that, I was actually able to stop and survey the beauty of my surroundings. Because anyone who's ever done any type of long distance hiking, you know this to be true, that 90% of hiking while you're on the trail is doing this. You are looking down at your feet 90% of the time as you're walking because you're trying to avoid rocks and sticks and holes that might trip you up as you go. And it's not till you actually stop. It's not till you actually stop and rest that you're able to relieve those burdens off your shoulders and that you're able to actually take in the beauty of your circumstances. And the same is true for us as believers when life feels most turned upside down. Because church, oftentimes we are so weighed down and we are so distracted by our circumstances that we just forget to remember to stop and rest and enjoy the Sabbath that we have through Christ Jesus. The peace and rest that comes through him. We neglect to unload the burdens off our shoulders at the feet of the one who says to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest nor do we stop long enough to take in the beauty of God's unfolding larger narrative of our lives 
by surveying our circumstances through the lens of the one who says to us that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Instead of turning to Jesus as our place of permanent Sabbath rest and peace in life, if you're like me, more often than not, we just grind harder. We still carry our burdens further or we turn to other outlets looking for means of relief or peace in life. And so the question remains, what does it look like to live out the promise of Jesus as our Sabbath rests? I would propose to you that it's this. The next time you feel like you're struggling to find rest at life, be that at noon or 2 a.m. at night, stop and ask yourself this question. What burdens am I currently carrying that I can give back to Jesus? What burdens am I currently carrying in life that I can give back to Jesus? And then make an intentional decision to stop and regularly pray and worship by giving those things back to Him, by seeking to intentionally carve out space in your day, in your week, whatever it is, to take your eyes off your circumstances and to focus them on the worship and glory of Jesus. I don't know what it is, church. I don't know why that is what it is. Others say that Jesus is Sabbath rest because that's what I have had to force myself to do all this week. When my mind has been drowned by thoughts of where life is and where it's going and what if and what might happen, I had to come before the Lord and say, Jesus, I can't carry this. I can't carry this anymore. It's too heavy. I got to give it to you because you can carry it. And I'm going to worship and look at you because these circumstances are too scary in this moment. But when I keep my eyes fixated on you, Jesus, I know that you are bigger than the moment. That you have this and you'll take care of this. And church, it doesn't mean that when we try to do that, that that's something that's going to come naturally to us. Or that we won't try to pick up those circumstances again. It's not, and we will. We have a natural tendency as human beings to want to try and pick up those things again, those boulders, and put them on our backpack. But I think, church, this morning, as we intentionally seek to remember Jesus as our place of Sabbath rest, more and more we will discover that he truly is the ultimate fulfillment of Sabbath that God spoke about in Exodus 20 for our lives. And so I finish with this by asking you one more time. Where do you turn when life feels most turned upside down? May it be said of us as the assembled believers in the royal priesthood of Christians that in those moments we turn to Christ and Christ alone as our permanent and uh, everlasting Sabbath rest. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.